Father, we love you, we worship and adore you. Glorify your name in all the earth. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Glorify your name in all the earth. Jesus, we love you, we worship and adore you. Glorify your name in all the For his name alone is high, 
and his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. All ye fruitful trees and cedars, all ye hills and mountains high, creeping things and beasts and cattle, birds that in the heavens fly, kings of earth and all ye Charges all. Praise his name, young men and maidens, ancient men and children small. Let them praise, give Jehovah, for his name alone is high, and his glory is exalted. And his glory is exalted, and his glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. Please be seen. Holy, holy, holy Lord. Eternally. 
Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flesh before thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Give her immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround thee, earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Borders join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began. Father, love is reigning o'er us, brother, love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us onward in the triumph song of life. Our scripture reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we just praise your name. We recognize you, Father, as the great one, the true and powerful one. Father, the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things that are in it. Father, we confess that Jesus Christ is your son and that he came here and lived as a man and died on the cross and Father, through his blood, we have forgiveness of our sins and the hope of heaven one day with you. Father, we come before you praying for the condition of our world, Father. Father, as we hopefully are coming to the end of this virus and the sickness, Father, we know that there are people that are sick and that there are people that are fearful and those that have experienced um, economic hardship and Father we just pray that you would be with those that are affected by this terrible disease Father we also know that our world is on fire and hatred and contempt are on full display and God we call these things out as devices of Satan Father, when we ask that you could, that you would just put them behind us. Father, we know that anarchy and chaos and division are some of his most effective tools. And Father, we just pray that we have the ability to recognize them when he deploys them. And that you would give us 
a measure of your wisdom to respond to these events appropriately and in ways that would reveal Jesus' light, his love, and his mercy to those around us. Father, help our congregation during these times to be a light in our community, Father. And Father, we pray that for all those that call on Jesus as their Savior. Father, bless our leaders. Bless our elders and our government officials. Father, we pray that you would bless those that are hurting and oppressed. And since you, O oh Lord, are their shelter and their refuge in times of trouble, Father, use us, your church, to deliver that promise. Father, heal their broken hearts and bind up their wounds. Father, bless us individually and bring us opportunities to help. Father, give us the strength and the courage to act when you give us those opportunities, Father, and put the words in our mouth and the actions in our minds of what to do and when to do them. Father, give us the courage to start uncomfortable conversations and the wisdom to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Father, encourage us to speak up. Allow us, Father, to judge righteously and show us how to defend the cause of the oppressed and of the needy. Father, make us more like the Good Samaritan. Father, teach us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Father, through, through Christ, we petition your throne with these, with these askings. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For me, so weak and sinful, oh, shall I be so blessed? Oh, Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but adore? And magnify and praise thee and love thee evermore. Is it for me thy so full of sin. Oh, Savior, my Redeemer, what can I but
of my life I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. Lest I forget thy full crown from, lead me to Calvary. Lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony. Should soul shall find rest. 
me to uh, ask individuals if you do not have a, a single communion cup would you raise your hands and when someone will bring that to you and then afterwards uh, just hold on to the, the plastic pieces and and they're going to bring the trash cans uh, uh, to you this morning early I was sitting on the front porch, and it, it was still pretty cool. The wind was blowing out of the north, and the sky was absolutely beautiful. But I couldn't help but reflect on the buildings burning and people dying and how symbolic it is of good and, good and evil. And what's our responsibility as Christians? As we come to this part of our worship where uh, we remember Christ and his teachings, what answers do we have? A couple of days ago, I, I read a letter. For those of you who uh, are football fans, you'll recognize Tony Dungy. The name, those of you who are not football fans, uh, share a little bit with you. Tony is a highly respected football coach, uh, successful, uh, an analyst now. He and his wife uh, have are raising, uh, I think, seven children, some of their own, some adopted. Tony's uh, granddad was a minister. Two of his uncles were a minister. Uh, Tony is a black man. I don't want to misquote or so I'm going to read what he wrote a couple of days ago. As I have watched the events in Minneapolis unfold the last few days, I have wondered and prayed about how I should respond. Blow are my thoughts. I hope you read the whole thing. Because the final thought is most important. America is in a very sad place today. We have seen a man die senselessly at the hands of the very people who are supposed to be protecting our own citizens. We have seen people protest this death by destroying property and dreams of people in their own community, the very people they are protesting for. We have many people pointing fingers of blame, painting the opposite side with a broad brush. We have anger and bitterness winning out over logic and reason. We have distrust and prejudice winning out over love and respect. What happened to George Floyd was inexcusable and should never happen. Justice needs to be served, but in seeking justice, we cannot fall into the trap of prejudging every police officer we see. What started out as peaceful protests have devolved into arson and looting, and that should never happen either. Yes, there should be protests, but we do not have a license to perform criminal acts because we might be angry. Today we are a divided country. We're divided racially, politically, social, and economically, and Satan is laughing at us because that's exactly what he wants. Dysfunction, mistrust, hatred will keep his kingdom flourishing. So what's the answer? 
I believe it has to start with those of us who claim to be Christians. We have to come to the forefront and demonstrate the qualities of the one we claim to follow. We cannot be silent, as Dr. King said many years ago, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. But we cannot go forward with judgmental, bitter spirits. We need to be proactive and do it in the spirit of trying to help make things better. It cannot be just the African-American churches. It has to be all churches taking a stand and saying we're going to be on the forefront of meaningful dialogue and meaningful change. We have to be willing to speak the truth in love, but we have to recognize that we are not fighting against other people. We are fighting against Satan and his kingdom of spiritual darkness. In the words of the Apostle Paul, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this morning, as we come to Jesus, let's uh, examine ourselves and see what we plan to do. You know, uh, we read where Jesus was asked what was the greatest thing that I should do. His reply was, was very simple, basically two things. Respect God and keep his commandments. If we do that, I'll take about, care of about half of the evil that we're seeing across the United States. He said the second one was love other people. Not people that look like me, not people that come from where I do or dress like I do or don't have tattoos like I do or go, well, go on and on and on goes the list, fill in the blank. Just love other people, care for them, provide for them, have dialogue, listen to them. I think that's what he asked of us. Now, as far as the death and destruction, when we look across it, we've got pestilence, disease, death, uh, anarchy, riots, COVID-19, half the people are here, we got our mask, and that's, that's good. There was death before COVID-19, there's going to be death after COVID-19. So what hope do we have? We have hope as a Christian in Jesus. We're going to overcome that death. I don't know exactly how or the ways we're going to do it, but we just know that we're going to be victorious over that. Sure, it may be a little scary. It may be a little painful. It might be a lot painful. But we're victorious in the end. So the message we have to share, and I think the responsibility we have as Christians to share with other people is, is that's the hope, not only for our country, but for our souls. Let's love other people. Let's share the message of Jesus. And let's live our faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, at this time, we ask forgiveness as a nation, as individuals, when we fail to do what you want us to do. As we take this bread that represents your body, let us meditate on these things. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. In a like manner, Heavenly Father, we give thanks for this cup, which represents your blood. Because we know, Father, that God made everyone in his image. And that you love each of us the same. 
It's this blood that washes our sins clean that allows us to overcome the death and be victorious in the end. Gives us hope, gives us faith, gives us courage. We're so grateful that it's that gift that you've given to each of us. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Open now the crystal fountain, Whence the healing waters flow, let the fiery cloudy pillar lead me on my journey through. Strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and shield. Strong deliverer, be thou still my strength and when I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fear subside. Bear me through the swelling current, lead me safe on Canaan's side. Songs of praises I will ever give to Songs of praises I will have a gift to thee. Please be seen. Good morning. One essential ingredient to the success of any organization is leadership. When Steve Jobs returned to the Apple Corporation and became their CEO, they were nearly bankrupt. But under his leadership, Apple became one of the most successful corporations in the world. Football is a big deal at the University of Alabama, but from 1996 to 2006, the Crimson Tide could not get it done. You might remember they went through five coaches during that short time. Alabama then hired Nick Saban, and he has led them to way too many national champions. But no one can deny that Alabama has one of the most superior football programs in the nation. The right leader can make a world of difference. Profits increase, morale improves, employee turnover is low, Needs are being met. There's a sense of teamwork and unity. Leadership is not an option. It is essential. That's why corporations, the big ones, are willing to pay millions of dollars to their CEO. That's why college programs pay their head coach exorbitant salaries because leadership matters. I'll put this on your outline if you want to fill in the blank. Charles Swindoll defines leadership as inspiring influence. 
inspiring influence. Effective leaders are those whose inspiring influence prompts others to follow. Now, they can be different in style, in approach, in their level of intelligence or their education or the way they approach things or how involved they are in the task at hand. But good leaders are always able to inspire others to follow. Time Magazine had a feature article about the difference between power and influence. It read, to hold power is to hold at your disposal blunt instruments. But without influence, power dies at the end of its own channels of command. To have influence is to gain assent, not just obedience. To attract a following, not just an entourage. To have imitators, not just subordinates. Power gets its way when it gets it. Influence makes its way, and in a free society, it makes its way further. Probably the most influential man in the last century was Winston Churchill. The most powerful man in the last century was Adolf Hitler. There's a big difference between power and influence. The purpose of these series of lessons, leadership lessons from Moses, is to motivate us to expand our influence for Jesus and his kingdom. This is not so much to uh, recruit elders or deacons or Bible class teachers or small group leaders. Those are always needed. This is for you and me to have maximum impact in our own sphere of influence for the Lord. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about our church. Any given Sunday, I am speaking to what the Bible calls five talent leaders. Some of you are the president of your company, or maybe vice president. You are the CEO. You have a political office. You are a leader in your domain, in your world, in your sphere. And those kind of people are always looking for ways to refine their leadership skills. They go to seminars. They read books. They like to be with others who lead and and, and talk with them because they always want to be a better leader. But there are others of us who may be one or two talent leaders. And we also need to multiply our giftedness of our influence in our community, in our sphere, in our committees, our co-workers, our families, even our homes. I'm also speaking to some young potential leaders today who, when the time is right, you need to step up and take that opportunity to use your God-given talents to make a positive difference. I also want to think about our current situation that our world has been into with the quarantine for the last couple of months. So many have had to work from home. Some of our own number have lost their jobs. We've not been able to gather for worship or Bible study. So who is leading you spiritually? Who is leading you through this? You are. So how are you managing your time? How are you negotiating your relationship with the Lord? What about your mental health? How are you staying close to Jesus? Who's holding you accountable? Are your words, your attitudes with family and friends, and even posts on social media, are they they revealing that you walk in the Spirit? 
Are they building up or tearing down? Coach Dungey's comments, probably the best I've read, and I'm so grateful, Kent, that you shared those. We're all just in shock of what's happening with our country, and we ache at the injustice, and we feel helpless because we can't fix Minneapolis, and we can't fix Atlanta, and we can't fix Nashville, and we can't even fix Columbia. But each of us, we do have an opportunity for leadership, for inspiring influence in your own sphere. The people that God puts in your path, at your work, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your home. And it begins with your own heart. I've watched some of the videos, as you have as well, and the one that was most disturbing to me was the one of that, I think it was a shopkeeper in Dallas, just kicked nearly to death and literally stoned. So troubling, so troubling. And I was, I was, I was mindful of Jesus when he looked at the people and he had compassion on them because they were like people without a shepherd. And that's where we are. We are people without a shepherd. It's our prayer that God will use his word to teach us how each of us can step up and be that leader to show others where the green pastures are, that we're constantly praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. So for the next four lessons in this series, we're going to be looking at Moses. We're all familiar with Moses. We know the story of Moses. But I want us to look at him as who he was, one of the premier leaders in really all of history. Moses was called by God to lead the Israelites, the Hebrews, at the time that were slaves in Egypt, out of bondage and into the promised land. And this was a huge task. And Moses nearly buckled under that responsibility. So I want us to look at the book of Exodus and, and notice what made Moses an effective leader with the hopes that we can develop some of the same traits. And really, as you study the book of Exodus from the beginning to end, you realize the Moses at the opening and the Moses at the end of the book is an entirely different person. As God worked through him to lead his people. So today we're going to be with, begin with Moses accepting the challenge at the burning bush. The verses on the screen you may want to read out of your own Bibles. Exodus chapter 3 verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Median. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So notice, if you want to follow along the outline, that God had prepared Moses in advance to lead. Early on in his life. Now, in order to understand why God would choose this 80-year-old sheep herder to lead his people out of bondage, then we need to kind of go back and review a little bit about the life of Moses. So very quickly, just remember what you studied in the Bible. We won't go back and read all these verses. It would take too long. But Moses was born to godly parents when the Israelites were being severely persecuted in Egypt. 
It got so bad, the Pharaoh was so paranoid about their numbers ever increasing that it reached the point where he decreed that, uh, decreed that every Hebrew male would be killed. That's the setting when Moses was born. His mother refused to comply when she was born. The Bible says she noticed he was a beautiful child. She couldn't do it. Instead, she hid the baby. But when it became too big, too loud, she had to do something. And do you remember the story how, how she, with her own hands, made that basket that was waterproof, put that baby in the basket at just the right place where the Pharaoh's daughter would intercept little baby Moses. And Moses' older sister Miriam just so happened, we might say, but you can see God's handprint in all of this, was right there. Would you like me to find a nurse for this baby? And can you imagine her going back home? Mom, your plan worked. It's all good. Moses grew up in that kind of situation with the best of both worlds. He was taught about the one true God by his believing mother who had amazing faith. But he was also exposed to the best life afforded to all of those who grew up in Pharaoh's household. He was comfortable with the movers and the shakers of Egyptian society. Moses would be able to grow up speaking fluent Hebrew and Egyptian without an accent. He understood power, but he also had empathy for the slaves and the persecution of his own people. Later in life, he made a very difficult choice. As the writer of Hebrews explained, Hebrews 11, 24 and 25, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Gene Getz wrote a book, Moments of Glory, and he said that God gifted Moses with three-dimensional advantage. There's three blanks on your outline if you want to write these down. First, he had outstanding physical assets. His mother saw that he was a beautiful child. Later in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was talking about Moses, you might remember this, he said that Moses was no ordinary child. Josephus, the respected Jewish historian, wrote this. Moses, as a young man, was so outstanding in his physical features that the Egyptians would often try to just to get a glimpse of him, just to see what he looked like. They would stare at him, Josephus writes, finding it hard to turn their eyes away from this unusual man. He had these unusual attributes that attracted people. All of you are thinking, Charlton Heston, just well cast for that role, right? We know he's a strong man. The Bible tells us he killed that Egyptian taskmaster with his own hands. But number two, Moses also had unusual intellectual accomplishments. Again, Stephen in Acts 7 said, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Well, of course he was. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he had the best of everything in one of the most successful, productive countries in the world at that time. Even today, architects and engineers marvel at the building of the pyramids and even the embalming practices of this ancient culture that were so ahead of their time. This was Moses, a well-educated man in one of the most advanced countries of his time. But also notice he had exceptional leadership ability. Again, Stephen said this in Acts 7, that Moses was mighty in his words and deeds. 
Josephus again reported that when the Ethiopians attacked Egypt, and they were on the verge of being defeated by them, under, uh, Moses was appointed general of the Egyptian army, and under his leadership, they beat the Ethiopians, and they were successful. So think of Moses as the, as the Norman Schwarzkopf or the, uh, or the uh, Colin Powell. He was successful. He was a leader, even on the battlefield. Evidently, his charisma served him well. And we know that leadership has to be developed. And not everybody is a leader in the sense we think of that term. Paul wrote this in Romans 12, 6. In his grace, God has given us different gifts. And then verse 80 says, if God has given you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. Henry Ford said, to ask who should be the leader is to ask who should be the tenor. The tenor ought to be the tenor, and the leader ought to be the leader. You can appoint Mike Kessler as a tenor in a singing group, but that doesn't make him a tenor. And it won't make anyone in earshot comfortable either. The leader should be the leader. Moses evidently had a strong desire and a motivation and charisma to lead. And as you study these early days of Moses, you get the idea that he wanted to make a difference. But one day at age 40, we've already talked about it, you know the story, the taskmaster was brutalizing one of his fellow Hebrews, and, and it was a breaking point for Moses. He couldn't stand it anymore. Lost his temper. Killed the Egyptian. Moses was wrong to take a life. God never tells us to do that. He was outside the will of God in that moment. But if you've studied Moses, you know that a character flaw of his was his temper. He never really got control of that. All of his life, it dogged him. Moses was thinking in doing that, that his fellow Hebrews would kind of rally behind him. So he buried the Egyptian. But the very next day, if you recall, Moses was intervening from some of his fellow Hebrews who were struggling. The one in the wrong said, who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill us like you did the Egyptian? He was horrified. The word was out. He thought nobody knew. Nobody saw it. Now it was life or death. He would be killed for that offense. So he escaped to Midian, and he's tending sheep. Now, what a contrast the first 40 years of Moses' life with the next 40 years of his life. He had been living in the palace, eating at the king's table, driving the best chariots, commanding the king's army. And now, with all of his learning... All of his experience, all of his connections, all of his charisma, all of his talent, Moses is herding sheep out in the wilderness. But even there, God was mellowing him. God was humbling him. God was acquainting him in the wilderness because he was going to need to know how to survive and live there for the next several years as he led the people through the wilderness. God often utilizes every experience to prepare us to lead. God told the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1 verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. 
God called Jeremiah to be a prophet even before he was born. It was God's plan for him. David was a shepherd boy, but in his idle time, you remember, he took up playing the harp. Then when Saul needed someone to soothe him, he called for David to come and play in the palace. And then later, when David became king, he'd already been in the palace. He was a shepherd boy, a common man. But he knew the protocol. He understood how it worked. Because God was preparing him in advance to lead. I can look over my life and see how God worked in many ways to prepare me for ministry. Jackie Fox was my minister early on, and he was such a positive role model for me. He's the one who talked me into going to Freed Hardeman. Nancy Bennett, uh, one of our sweet members, wrote an article about Jackie and all the people that he encouraged to go to Freed Hardeman. In college, I was able to serve as an intern with a very successful stateside missionary. I didn't grow up in a preacher family. My dad's an electrician, so I didn't know much about the inside. But God introduced me to Celia Bray, who did grow up in a preacher's home and knew all about the inner workings of ministry. I can also look at my life and see times where God was trying to teach me, lead me, prepare me, and I was ignoring it. I was blowing it. I didn't grow up in church. I told you that. So I didn't have much Bible knowledge. So I always felt like I was playing catch up. I graduated from a public high school, not unlike Columbia Central, big school. I was a very good student, very good student. That was kind of my goal, to make good grades and be a good student. I especially loved math and chemistry and physics. I thought that would be what I would study and major in, maybe become uh, an engineer like my older brother. He was a few years ahead of me. I made good grades in English and literature and history, but I never really appreciated those subjects. At that time, I would never have believed if you told me I would not be using math in my profession, in my life. That every day, every week, basically, I'd be like writing papers, studying languages like Greek and Hebrew, and spending hours studying, researching. That the office staff would call me the grammar Nazi. Grew to love what I didn't appreciate way back then. Young people, God may have a much greater sphere of influence in mind for you in the future. That you have no idea how God is going to use you for His glory. And right now, He's giving you exposure to classes and teachers and experiences and some low-paying jobs and opportunities and churches to learn and grow and mature and expand your understanding and all of that can prepare you for the future and he can use that so make the most of every opportunity soak them up be perceptive learn everything you can and then wherever God leads you you be ready to step up and take that opportunity and one day everything changed for the shepherd Moses received the call from God Really, he experienced a, a theophany. 
Moses saw that bush that was burning and not consumed, and, and the Bible says he had to check it out. Look in your Bibles, Exodus 3, verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Now, that is so hard for us to picture, a bush that's on fire and it's not burning up. That's why Moses had to check it out. And, and my heart goes out to every Bible class teacher, every person in VBS who has ever tried to make a burning bush. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, we try, but we just can't come close. Parents, let me stop and give you a commercial. If you ever take your kids to Disney or any of the theme parks, one year also, or maybe in addition to, or maybe instead of, take them to the Museum of the Bible. You will not regret it. There is one exhibit especially where you walk through, it's a walking exhibit, best burning bush since the burning bush. It is amazing. And it helps you to conceptualize what God was doing since the beginning of time. And your children will never forget it. And you will not either. But notice, God called Moses by name. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. What an amazing moment. What a dramatic call that there's this bush that is burning but not consumed. And now God is speaking and he calls Moses by name. God used a burning bush for Moses. He used a bright light for Saul. But for most of us, it's not that dramatic. It's something in your heart. Maybe it's extenuating circumstances. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit nudging you in some way that you just can't get your mind off of that and you know that is God prompting you. We're not unlike the little boy who told his mom he wanted to become a preacher. She was rather surprised by that and she said, why? He said, well, I figure I'm going to have to go to church all my life. I'd rather stand up and yell than sit down and listen. And that may be the way some of us think of our calling as being. But several leaders were asked. These are leaders in their work or, or maybe in a political position, some successful coaches. Why did you choose this area to lead? Why are you in this position? Why, are you, why did you run for that office? Here were some of their answers. I was concerned for my children's future. I want to bring integrity to government. I love kids. I love the game, and my coach has such an impact on me. I want to do the same. I think young children are more pliable, and I love to teach them when they're young. I want to be the president of the company because I feel a drive to make a difference. I hurt so badly when my brother was killed, and so I want to make a difference for him. I heard someone speak truth to me, and it was like a small, still voice that said, now it's your turn. Go. None of them said they heard an audible voice. For sure, none of them had a burning bush. 
But all of them had something within where God was prompting them, a compulsion that they could not deny. I really related to this principle. Let me share what he wrote. What motivated you to become a principal? He said, I was slightly insane. The answer is slightly why I chose to be a teacher. That is what I am. Why did I choose to be a teacher? In a way, teaching is being a leader because you are causing change in lives. Some people have a job, some have a career, but others have a calling. I just had to be a teacher. I didn't want to. I had to. I felt called to, the, to do this. This is where I'm supposed to contribute what it, with whatever talent I have. And how did I move to becoming a principal? Well, as a teacher, I began to feel I wanted to accomplish more. Since every teacher is a leader, I wanted to be a leader of leaders. I didn't want to just be a boss. I wanted to be a servant. If I can do that by helping teachers do their job, then I can be a leader of leaders. Then perhaps I've done what the Lord wanted me to do. He told about his first job as principal. I walked into the office and I said, what am I doing here? My new secretary handed me a huge set of keys and said, my husband is waiting for me in the car. We're about to go on vacation. There's a little bit of paperwork for you to look over there. She showed me a few boxes and walked out of the room. There I was, alone with a huge set of keys, piles of paperwork, and I thought, if there's ever a time to pray, this is it. He said, this is not like me. I wasn't one to do this, but I opened my Bible and put my finger down on Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And I realized I'm not here for boxes, papers, or keys. I'm here because God has called me here. So don't sit back and wait for some miraculous sign, burning bush, a knock on the head, before you step up to lead. You look for the green lights. You open doors. You knock on the doors. You turn the doorknobs. You listen to people's counsel. And then you be honest and upright about your own giftedness. And then you step up when the leadership is right there in front of you, that opportunity. Well, in spite of that dramatic call and all the preparation, Moses was reluctant. Look at Exodus 3, 7 through 11. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, in some ways, you can understand that, right? Moses had asserted himself 40 years earlier, thought he was doing right, but he blew it, lost all respect, even for himself. Now he'd become comfortable with this new life, away from the crowds. Besides that, he's 80 years old. Who wants to take on a new challenge at 80 years old? So Moses seems close-minded. I've done my time. Let someone else take a turn. Who am I? And you and I can do the same thing and give the same responses, can't we? You know, I travel off on the weekends. I go to the lake, travel ball. I don't like kids. I'm too busy. I don't know enough. I'm too old. I'm too young. Others are more qualified. I've never done that before. It's not my passion. 
And the list goes on and on and on. Now, to be frank, I believe there needs to be a moment, if I may call it holy hesitancy, when you've got the leadership opportunity there, because leadership is an awesome responsibility, and I'm always a bit leery about someone who's super anxious to lead, aren't you? They're just so quick to jump. James and John seem so eager to lead in Jesus' kingdom. You remember that. They ask him, one gospel says, his mother asked him, another gospel says, Mark 10, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they, they said to him, we are able. But they weren't. When Jesus was arrested, they forsook him like everybody else. Some craver glamour and power of leadership because they don't understand the days of agony and pressure and criticism and hard work and loneliness and sacrifice that it demands. They love the spotlight. They love the attention. They want to have the authority over people. They want to be in charge. The little boy came home from school 15 minutes late, so his mom asked him, why were you late? He said, Jeffrey was the crossing guard at school, and he made us wait 15 minutes until a car came. I hope you don't work for Jeffrey. But we all know people like that, don't we? There are some people who love to show their authority. So the fact that Moses was a little reluctant, in some ways, we appreciate that. Moses was not the only leader that was reluctant at first. Remember Solomon? When he was appointed king over Israel, Solomon basically said, Who am I? Look at 1 Kings 3, verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in the place of David, my father, although I'm but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this great, this, this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for this. A sense of inadequacy can be good when it drives us to depend on God and even others. But Moses' hesitancy went beyond humility. It really is more of a lack of faith. Let me close with this. Dr. Victor Hamilton, an Old Testament professor at, Old Test uh, at Asbury University, said every objection that Moses gave could start with the letter I. So very quickly, if you fill in the blanks, the first one is inadequacy. Who am I to go? Forty years before, it was like Moses was saying, look at me. Look at who I am. And now he's saying, who am I? God said, Moses, I'll be with you. But number two is ignorance. Exodus 3, verse 13. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? He said, is it the God of the burning bush? Who is this God? Is that the God of the Nile? There are a lot of gods in Egypt. God said in verse 14, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Moses also offered the excuse of incredibility. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, but, but, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. So God responded to that by giving him these authenticating miracles to convince the Israelites that he truly 
was sent by the one true God. His staff would become a snake. His hand would become leprous. The water poured from the Nile would turn to blood. Get this, God will never lead you into a position of leadership and that he will not also give you the resources to make it happen. That's how he works. He gave Moses a staff. He gave David a sling. Another excuse Moses gave, inarticulate. Chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since I've been spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. That's what Moses said, but now Acts chapter 7, remember we talked about that earlier, Stephen described Moses like this. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So which one is it, Moses? Was Moses rationalizing his giftedness? You know, I haven't given a speech in four decades. I'm not sure that I can even speak Egyptian. It's kind of grown rusty on me. I'm too nervous to stand in front of people. God wasn't hearing it. God said, Moses, I made your mouth. I got this. But also in insubordination. Notice this, chapter 4, verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Pretty bold, isn't it? The next verse. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Verse 17. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. I love this because he says, you are going, Moses. All these excuses, I'll be with you. And he kind of wraps up, you are going. Well, Moses accepted the challenge. Please get this if you don't understand it already. Humility is not a sense of inadequacy. That is not humility. Humility is finding out what God has gifted you to do. And then you do it with all of your might for all of his glory. That's humility. Moses was an imperfect person. Struggled all of his life with temper. At times he was fearful. At times he struggled with his faith. He was a murderer. He was not a perfect man. But God's grace is greater God tolerated his character flaw. God forgave his sins. God strengthened his faith. And Moses became one of the greatest leaders of all time. Let me share a poem with you that I learned in trigonometry. Just, just kidding. <laughs> Come to the Edge by Christopher Logue. Come to the Edge. We might fall. Come to the edge. It's too high. Come to the edge. And they came. And he pushed. And they flew. The Bible says that the bush was burning. And Moses saw it. And he came to see and God pushed and Moses flew and oh how he flew and if God could use him he can use you if you'll hear his call Moses accepted the challenge and you and I must as well 
Our Lord said, let your light shine before others so that may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Moses saw the burning bush. He took a step to check it out to see. Maybe it's time for you to take a step. Maybe your step today is exactly what Peter said on Pentecost 2,000 plus years ago. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be baptized. If you're not yet a child of God, we always want to offer that invitation. Maybe for you it's to have a conversation with someone to say you're sorry. Maybe it's to start that dialogue that Kent was talking about. Maybe it's just open your eyes and see how God will use you to bring about his kingdom. If we can pray for you or help you in your salvation in any way, won't you come as we stand and sing to encourage? The master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me. Jesus completely saves. He's to lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea, billows his will obey. He, your Savior, wants to be, be saved. good hour to be together. We're grateful for everyone, either in person or online, that's uh, worshiping with us this morning. Um, just a few uh, notes from our church family here. You know, one person, I miss so many people. One person I miss being right back there when I walk in right now is C.T. Johnson. I love him. What a gracious and wonderful Christian man. C.T. will have surgery on June 3rd for a complete tear of his meniscus in his right knee. I know he's been in a lot of pain lately, and uh, I think maybe using a walker or a cane at times to be able to walk. So I know it's been very painful. He'll have surgery on the 3rd. Uh, let's pray for CT. Our sympathy goes out to uh, the family of Don Westmoreland. Uh, Don is, was an elder uh, at the Highland Church of Christ, 
and he is the uncle of our own Joe Westmoreland and uh, we pray for that family our sympathy is also extended to Alex Quintero and his family his uncle Joaquin Lopez in Honduras has passed away and it is my understanding that he had tested positive for COVID-19 I think one of the things that's uh, pray for Alex and his family in particular I, Randy was sharing with me that uh, Delta who is the primary carrier to get to Honduras has totally quit flights into that country and so it's a, a real difficult time for Alex but uh, be pray for them and their family um, want to make note of our Tuesday night uh, series Kerry's uh, done a lot of work on this he's had help but we appreciate the leadership that he has given on this this beginning this Tuesday night at 630 uh, via uh, Facebook YouTube our website we'll begin our summer series dr. Rodney cloud will be an excellent an excellent presentation on archaeology in Israel and uh, he's already put a lot of work into that into that series and uh, but we have a, lot, a great lineup of speakers this summer, and for the time being, they will be presented online uh, on Tuesday night at 6.30. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the blessing of life. And Father, I thank you for our worship this morning, wherever our flock is at, those that have been visiting with us. We're thankful, Father. We pray that you will uh, bless us this week. And Father, we, uh, we look around us and uh, we periodically see our world and our country in such a mess. And uh, we ask that you help us to consider what we can do and how it can begin with us to be better and to be a greater influence for you on others, on our families and those we work with, those we school with. Father, we pray for that. I'm thankful for Kent's comments this morning, for the message that we've heard that seemed to match so well with what we can do to help our fellow citizens, Father. We pray that you'll bless us with uh, grace in our speech and in our actions, in our words, that you will cause us, Father, to be uh, Christian in every way, to be disciples of Jesus. Father, we're thankful. Help give us, that, give us comfort in that when we see so many things that frustrate us around us. Father, we pray for a better moment soon, whether it be the virus situation that we've been in. Father, we pray for greater confidence. We pray for uh, that you cause things to simply be different, that allow us to be comfortable and to be able to be together. We do pray for certain kinds of normal, Father, but help us, those things that were normal, that we were doing before, that we've come to realize were unnecessary and even not helpful and perhaps even harmful to our serving of you, Father. We thank you for this time that we've had to consider those things, to make certain changes in our lives and in our spirit, in our walk with you. We pray that's been a positive, and we thank you for that, Father, so that when things go back more a little bit normal, Father, Help us not to be too normal, but help us to simply look to you each and every day to reset, to recalibrate, and to look forward to our walk with you as a church here at West 7th. In Jesus' name, amen.
I now baptize you in the name of the Lord, uh, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. For the forgiveness of your sins. And you will come out of the waters of baptism as a new creature. This will be done for the glory of God. Marcelo, do you believe that uh, Christ is the Son of God? He said he does. Do you believe that Christ uh, came and died on the cross for your sins? Yes. Do you know that at the time of baptism, your sins will be forgiven? Yes. By the power vested in me by the scripture. I baptize you in the name of the Lord. Father. Father. <laughs> uh, the Son. And the Holy Spirit. And you will be a new creature from now on. And this too will be done for the glory of God. One more. This is a glorious day. <laughs> that was not in the script. <laughs> Kevin, you have visited uh, church a lot. And you understand your need to clean yourself from sin. You're only 11 years old. But you know the future that awaits you in Christ. For this reason and your confession and faith that you made. And for the power invested in me through the scripture. Today I baptize you in the name of the Father, uh, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. Just like uh, them too, you will also receive the Holy Spirit that will dwell in you. It's marvelous when young people uh, give their life to Christ especially now during this uh, epidemic. This is for God's glory. Amen. Anybody else? <laughs> <laughs> it's the Lord today. <laughs> <laughs> 